This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, When All Has Been Heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good morning, everyone. Well, we are here again, session number five. It seems as if it has flown by. Um, we did all the heavy lifting yesterday. We only get one session today. Um, and then we'll finish off with our question and answer session tomorrow, um, as well as a, a couple, you know, just little things in terms of trends uh, that may be coming up in recent times because of social media and things like that. Um, so we're gonna go ahead and have prayer. Um, and then just jump right in to our presentation for today. All right, let's pray. Our Father, uh, what a gift that it is to have life again this morning. What a gift that it is to be here in Houston uh, with so many different individuals whose hearts are towards the Lord. And Father, this environment is a perfect space for you to speak to us, and we pray that you would do just that this morning. Lord, as we step into the space of parenting, we know, Lord, that whatever we have to offer and discuss falls so much short of him whose name is Father. And so, Lord, we ask that the little bit that we can share and that we can gain from your word and from personal experience, that it may illuminate our path going forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, this morning we've entitled our presentation advising loves giving parenting and family life and we our children are very young so parenting and family life we're not at that age where we have teenagers and you know people in middle school high school so this seminar we're not going to be able to speak to that because Candace and I are very sensitive to the fact that um, you know we can share principles but at the same time uh, we don't want to share something that we ourselves have not experienced or tested um, and so that's why a lot of our seminars have been focused on things that we've experienced or that we found to be true through our own failures or through our own successes. And we're going to do just that in terms of parenting as well as what the Bible has to offer to us in a very small way. So we're going to look at three basic areas of parenting and family life um, in terms of preparation and building the right, um, I don't want to use the word environment because environment is one of them, <laughs> but um, basically to establish strong biblical parenting as well as a strong uh, Christ-centered home. Mm -hmm. And so one of the first things we, we're looking at is parents, then we'll look at how to create that environment, and then we'll talk about some practical counsel in terms of discipline and things like that, uh, family worship and stuff like that. So uh, let's start off with parents. So one of the first things that people don't recognize is that a, a baby dedication that typically happens in our church on uh, this day and age is actually not so much a dedication of the child as it is a consecration of the parents. And so the child doesn't know any better. It's just sitting in the arms of a pastor who it probably has never been held by before. It may start crying or it may not, depending on what kind of baby you have. And in that moment of time, the baby is not remembering. I was dedicated as a child, um, even though my parents uh, did not continue in the church. Um, and I believe God honors that dedication for the child's side, but I also believe that the predominant purpose of that dedication service is to remind the parents that they need to be dedicated to God mm -hmm. and to recognize the trust that their children are to them. And so the first aspect we want to talk about is really the preparation for mothers. And uh, before Candice drops a lot of her wisdom and knowledge in that area, because she's a good mom, is uh, I want to take you to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we're just going to highlight a couple brief points here about where Adam and Eve were as the first parents, because I always like starting in the beginning, because it shows us the ideal and how God sought to move. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 26. When you're there, you can say amen. All right, the Bible says in verse 26 that, and God said, now who said this? God. God said, 
Let us make who? Man. Now, in the original language, right, this is the, the word that we usually get for Adam, or in the Hebrew, Adamah, right? So he says, let us make man. And this will develop further in the seminar, but for our purposes right now, God is trying to create a unique order of being. And he says, let us make man in our image. So there's a plurality. Are you following? So here is God who's saying, I am more than one, right? Let us make man in our image. So it'd be very, very odd for God to create a, an order of beings that is not having an existing in a plurality. Are you following what I'm saying? He is more than one. He's saying, let us. This is a group talking. This is the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they're coming and saying, let us make man. So humankind is being created with that same sense of unity amidst diversity. There are three different beings, but there's a certain core unity to them. And this is what God had envisioned in humanity. And he says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So notice God's purpose was not just to make man in his image and that was it. He says, let us make man in our image. And then he goes on. The second point is, let who? What word do you see in your Bible? He says, let who? Are you guys with me? He says, let them. Now, is them plural or singular? Plural. Let them have what? Dominion. So leadership and oversight and ruling is the inheritance of being created as a human being. Every human being on a fundamental level was created to be a leader, was created to have dominion. And he says, let us make man in our image and let them have dominion. Now notice what he goes on to say in verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created what? them so then we know who the them is referring to in verse 26 are you following let them means male and female they're going to both have dominion which means men and women both have qualities by the very divine design in their nature to be leaders are you following it's designed in them as a woman God has designed you with certain qualities and innate abilities in your nature to be a leader to exercise dominion over his creation. Number two is the same thing present in men. And this is obviously things we can talk about tomorrow when we get into trends. But for our purposes, in verse 28, the Bible says, then God did what? Blessed. Bless them. God blessed them. That's male and female. So God created both of them. God gave dominion to both of them. They both bear his image. They both are called to be leaders. And they are blessed by God. And God spoke to both of them. And said, be fruitful and what? Be fruitful and what? So there's two critical basic points we need to make here. Number one, before God gives dominion, you must be like him. Are you following that? God did not give them dominion and say, let me work on bringing you up into my image. Are you tracking that? Mm -hmm. Before he gave them dominion, he said, let us make them in our image. And then let them have dominion. Because God wanted the leadership of humanity to reflect his own leadership. So in this preparation, Adam and Eve were given responsibilities. And in those responsibilities, their character was fundamental. So when we talk about preparation for mothers or fathers, we must think about how we match up to the character of God. And if we want to be even more specific and not be so general and abstract, compare your life to the life of Jesus. Because that is the character of God carried out in a sinful world. So he says, before I give you dominion, and please believe, no one's going to sit on his throne that does not bear his image. Are you following? You will not judge angels 
if you are not bearing his name in your forehead. You will not be there in the millennium overseeing the books if you do not bear his image. God does not entrust leadership in his ideal scenario unless you are like him. So as soon as Lucifer departed, what happened? His position is removed. So for you and I, it is a wonder that God would trust us to raise his children, knowing that we are not like him and that we have a ways to go. So when we first look at preparation, number one, we need to focus on character and comparing ourselves to the life of Christ. And secondly, we must acknowledge our deficiencies and begin to actively pursue the change in them. The last points that I want to make on this part is in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, after God created Eve and brought Eve to Adam. Verse 23, the Bible says, And Adam said, This is now what? Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. You remember in the previous seminar, that's what Laban said to Jacob when he came in. And he said, Oh, you're bone of my bone, you're flesh of my flesh. What was he saying? That you share my nature. We are related. We are connected. And so in the same sense, Adam is looking at Eve and saying, if I have any bone, you are the bone of my bone. You're the very heart of my bone. You're the very heart of my flesh. All that is flesh within me is actually you. And this is where we get the concept that Paul uses in Ephesians 6, that no man ever yet hated his own flesh. Referring to the husband and his wife. Because your wife is your second self. To hate your wife is to hate yourself. So initially, when we look at preparation for parenting, as a parent, we have to think about how we are treating each other as husband and wife. If we don't see it this way, and our children are definitely extensions of us. If we start disconnected and broken, we already know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Lastly, it says in verse 24... Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. You know, being a parent, you need to have a stable situation. You know, a lot of people are having babies. They don't have a house. They don't know how to manage finances. And before this point, where Adam and Eve have any children, they have an experience with God. God has given them moral instruction. You can eat of this tree, but all these other trees you can't eat. I mean, you can eat freely of, but this one do not eat. God has given them a place to live. They have a garden that he planted. God has not only provided instruction, he's the one that helped create their very relationship. And now at the end, the Bible says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. Adam doesn't have an earthly mother and father. So it's letting us know that this is the precedent. That you go as a parent to establish your own home. Which means you can't be living in your mom's basement or her beach house, or the house outside. Are you following what I'm saying? So people out here trying to get married, trying to have kids, because once you get married, you can have a child any day. And therefore, this preparation is very key before you step into parenting. If we don't have a stable environment, we're not set to have children. And lastly, the Bible says, he's joined to his wife, they shall become one flesh, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. You know, one of the most critical pieces that we spoke about yesterday, that we just cannot reiterate enough, is the ability for the husband and wife to be vulnerable with each other. That is foundational to where Adam and Eve were. Now, obviously, we know that they sinned by the time they had children. So, unfortunately, we don't get to see the transition from their own vulnerability and nakedness and not ashamed and how that translated into how they would have raised their children and treated them. But we know that that's God's ideal. So in these elements that we want to bring out, before we get into the specifics of preparation for motherhood and fatherhood, um, we want to talk about these general things that apply to both husband and wife, male and female. And this is so important so that we don't have this sense that because I'm the priest of the home, my wife has nothing to do with spirituality. That's not true. And because she's the one that's ruling over the home, I got nothing to do with the dishes or cutting the grass or fixing this and carrying this. That's not true. But sometimes you have this very traditional cultural uh, kind of 
mutation of a biblical principle that's taken to a point of abuse and excess. It always hurts me when, you know, we travel and I see, you know, women carrying all these bags in the airport and her husband's just walking with one child. And I'm like, what's, what is going on with this picture? And I'm wondering, like, does this guy not see that his wife is struggling? She's got all kinds of bags. She's got another kid walking, crying, screaming. And the dad just comes back to try to discipline when everything else, he, you know, she, he just keep walking forward. And you're, you're looking at this situation and saying something is definitely wrong with this picture, but this did not just become an issue when children came. It started before. Because even before you had any children, the question is, were you carrying your wife's bags? Were you giving honor unto your wife as unto the weaker vessel? So in this fundamental approach to male and female, we both need to focus on these elements. And it's very foundational to parenting. And I don't think I can say that enough. Now, I want to have Candace talk a little bit about, you know, preparation for mothers, because obviously I don't know anything about that. That level of pain is beyond me. So let us know how you did it. <laughs> Three <Wow>. times. <laughs> Just want to take us back to um, so you all know when um, there was a phase or a time when I really, really wanted to be a mother. Um, I'd finished school. I had come into a new relationship with God. I had been baptized, had done ministry. Um, I had um, uh, been involved in evangelistic work and there were lots of different things that I had experienced and I thought you know the next thing that I'm looking forward to and at this time I had met Sebastian so and we were in our courtship and so I was looking forward to the next phase of my life of being a mom uh, being a wife and being a mother um, and I remember reading um, reading so many things from Spirit of Prophecy and uh, all the things that she talks about, about mothers and, and how honorable um, a position it is. And um, I remember being so struck, stricken by that because um, in society, you know, motherhood is not necessarily something that anyone is esteeming, you know, to really, it's not like I'm trying to become a mother, you know. That's just something that you do on the side while you're aspiring to become a physician or you're aspiring for these other great things academically or professionally. Um, but after reading different things, I thought, you know, I want to do both. I want to restore this honor to motherhood that, that, that she spoke so much about. Um, and the fact that, um, you know, especially that um, in the eyes of the recording angel, I remember that was one of the things that um, were seen as being one of the highest missionaries in the world, right? And so I thought, oh, hey, I don't even have to go preach anywhere. I can just stay at home and um, do things um, and, and take care of the things there. And um, so I had a real passion for restoring this, this honor to motherhood and, um, and sharing that with other mothers that I had read articles about who were struggling with having their husbands going back to work, et cetera, and I just wanted to be an encouragement to them. And that was until things kind of changed after um, motherhood actually came and was actually my experience. Um, because <laughs> you realize it's not just all those roses. And you realize that the reason why there was so, so much uh, written about the subject and why she spoke so highly about it was because she knew we'd need encouragement, because it's not pretty. Um, and granted, there may be some moms out there who have had, who, and I've met them, who adore being a mom, and it's just, you know, the icing on their cake. But unfortunately, I praise the Lord for you. Amen. <laughs> Unfortunately, that wasn't, has not been my experience. It has been quite a, um, a challenging one. Um, uh, so I can, I can stand here and give you all the tips about, you know, making sure that your devotional life is up to par, that you have, you have the things that you're going to need to give, um, making sure that, you know, you're disciplined in those areas where you're um, lacking discipline because... Uh, when you have other things going on, it's going to be hard to, to kind of hone in on and focus on yourself as much as you have the time to now. I can tell you about time management and making sure to develop um, healthy ways of managing your time and because that will come in and be very helpful and useful once the baby and your family comes along. Um, 
But instead of telling you all those little things, because whether you, you accomplish them and you perfect them beforehand uh, or not, um, having your children or having your family is going to help you develop those things anyway, whether you like it or not. Um, at least if you want to survive. So you'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll come to realize that those things are, go are necessary. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing, that I would, I, the thing that I'd say is the biggest preparation for mothers is that you start off committed to the journey of consistent change. And, um, and this is a change that's, that's intrapersonally, so the, in, the change that's going to be going on within you, um, whether it's spiritually, physically, mentally, socially, um, there's gonna be lots of ups, lots of downs, but if you're committed to, if you take time right now before that, that phase comes in to be committed, to staying the course no matter what, and staying the course with Christ no matter what, and not giving in, not throwing in the towel, um, to get back up and keep trying again, to keep perfecting those things or trying and on that, on, on that progression to be where it is that, um, uh, where you want to be in all those different areas we talked about, then I think that, that already starts you off on a better foot because the change will happen. You just have to be committed to going with the change and allowing the change to do what it needs to do in you, which is to grow you, to be a better you. And I think, um, you know, babe, to build off of what you're saying is that um, I'm an entrepreneur, so I run my own businesses. And one of the articles I remember reading um, was about, you know, if we were to quantify what a mother does compared to all the different responsibilities um, within business as a business leader, uh, CEO or major executive, and they, as they compiled all these different things, they, they started creating a research project where they were, they were interviewing people for a job. And they said, um, so we want to interview for this job. We're looking for people with some basic skills, but they didn't give them all the details. And then when they came into the interview, they said, uh, so you're going to have to stand on your feet consistently. Uh, we can't promise any breaks. Um, there's no guarantee that we, you, you'll need to be on call seven days a week. Uh, anytime you won't be able to travel um, anywhere um, you need to stay in town we need to be you need to be accessible you need to be able to cook you need to be able to clean you need to be able to do all these things and they were like uh, okay and, and they said well what's the pay scale and they said actually it's free we're, we're actually not offering any pay this is just an internship <laughs> and people are like started laughing and they're like what like what kind of position is this and at the end of the interview in the research they said Oh, by the way, this is what mothers do every day. And they saw how 90% of the applicants, when they were told what it would require, they were like, no, I'm not interested. And yet they said millions of women sign up to do this every day and are doing it successfully. And so as a business person, it gave me a whole new respect for the fact that when Ellen White says that there's the greatest power for good, on this earth, next to God himself, is the mother. Think about that. The greatest power is the influence of the mother, but it, it's no surprise that when we look at, you know, how motherhood is viewed, how it is treated, and how a lot of times, right, we look at it's better, it's more esteem and it's more respect to become a lawyer than it is to be a mom. And that's true. Because we all know, right, those high school reunions, those college reunions, those times where you meet up with people from your old local church or old friends back in, hey, what are you doing now? No girl wants to be that. Well, I'm, I'm staying at home with the kids. Uh, all right. And this guy's like, yeah, you know, I'm traveling the world and now I'm a VP for IBM and we're creating this great new technology. And, you know, did you see my piece there on Time magazine? And the other girl's like, oh, okay, did you, did you see my kids spill milk on your Time magazine? Um, it's like, sorry about that. And, and for her, she feels like she has nothing really major to contribute. And it, it takes me back to something that I told my mom recently. Uh, my grandfather passed away just about a week and a half ago. And my mom called me to let me know. And while we were discussing, you know, um, just the whole relationship with my grandfather and everything, and I was telling my mom, she said, you know, Sebastian, I'm really proud of you and happy to do all, this, you know, all the things that I see you doing and hearing about. Um, and I said, Ma, you know, I didn't raise myself. 
And so I said, yeah, people may not know your name. They may not know you, but as they meet me and they see, well, he's a gentleman, he's a person of God, he's this and that and the third, I said, that reflects on you. And I said, the greatest gift that Mary gave to the world was raising Christ. The greatest gift that Jochebed gave to the world was raising Moses. And so I said, all the people that God may use me to bless, that goes back to you because you're the one that bore me. You're the one that decided I'm going to stick around and be a mom even though I'm a single mom. You're the one that decided that I'm going to work the 14-hour days and risk it. And all that, all that particular burden sometimes as mothers, we forget that Einstein had a mom. Isaac Newton had a mom. And these people had to not discourage their education, discourage their genius, discourage their passion. And that's always what my mother has been, a nurturer. Sebastian, if that's what you want to do, you can do it. When I told my mom, hey, you know, when I get rich and all this stuff, I'm going to take you back to Jamaica, my mom could have said, look around. <laughs> How is that exactly going to take place? <laughs> but that's not what she said. My mom just smiled and she says, well, I'll make sure I have my bags packed. Because she never wanted to discourage any passion that I had. And so even though we were poor, we didn't have much, we were living on government funding and all this kind of stuff, my mom refused to allow me to think any less than what I was dreaming to do. And while for other people, that's not a glorious job, right? Because there's no applause. There's no Oscars. There's no best mom of the year award. The only thank you, as my father used to say, is to do something with your life. And that's how you can thank me. And in this sense, I believe with the, the preparation for moms, it's just very important to recognize that this is not going to be a job that everyone's going to affirm you, but I think recognizing what Candace is saying, how God sees it, how heaven sees it, and how eternity sees it, should really encourage us and influence our approach and our preparation for it. Amen. Let's talk about preparation for fathers. Um, you know, I don't know if, like Candace said, you know, giving birth to the child is a whole nother level. So, um, <laughs> Preparation for motherhood, I, I, I think that could be its own six-part seminar session. Um, but preparation for fathers for me is a very simple thing. Um, I don't see it as complicated. And I've uh, told this story before, but I just want to repeat it again for the context of what we're talking about. You know, when I was 17 years old, my dad had come to me, and um, it was right before my 18th birthday, and my dad said, so, Sebastian, I want to ask you a question. What's the difference between a boy and a man? And I said, one year. Because when I turn 18, I'm going to be a man. And my dad, unfortunately, did not think that was funny. <laughs> and he said, nope, that's wrong. He said, the difference between a boy and a man is that you don't have to tell a man to take out the trash. He takes it out because it needs to be done. And he said, as long as I or your mom or your sisters or your professors or some friends have to tell you what you need to be doing, you are a boy, no matter how old you are. But the day you start doing things simply because they need to be done, then you will know that you are a man. And I say this to simply acknowledge the fact that in order to be a father, this very point that I feel has been lost in our society, this idea of duty, of doing something because it just needs to be done. It doesn't have to be a glorious purpose. There doesn't have to be some great contribution to God's purpose for my life. Sometimes you take out the trash just because it needs to be done. And in this sense, right, Jesus didn't come die for us just because it was a nice vacation, it was some nice thing to do for us beings on the corner of the universe. Jesus saw that there was no other way for us to be saved unless he came down and died for our sins. So when Jesus came down, it wasn't glorious, it wasn't pleasant, it didn't feel good, and nobody was there at the cross saying, Jesus, we're cheering you on. But he did it because it needed to be done. And so one of the basic preparations for me that I argue to young men who are seeking to become fathers and even ones that are currently fathers or maybe about to become a father, your number one principle needs to always start at this fundamental level. 
I need to do things what, because they need to be done. That's all I need. I don't need my wife to nag me. I don't need someone to be like, hey, you know you really should be doing this. It's like, look, you know you should be doing it. So you do it because it needs to be done. A second preparation that I want to mention for fathers is found here in Genesis chapter 18. It's one of my favorite texts when it comes to fatherhood. Genesis chapter 18, beginning in verse 16. The Bible says, Then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have what? I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Now I want you to notice in this passage that God is about to go to Sodom to destroy Sodom. He came in the form of these human travelers at the house of Abraham and Abraham in typical Abraham fashion became this amazing hospitality person. Get this cooking, get this, get these guys this, and these are his guests. He doesn't know that it's God. This is where the term in Hebrew says, beware when you entertain strangers. Because you might be entertaining angels, unaware. So Abraham, taking care of his guests, begins to realize that his guests are more than just the normal guests. That this is God and angels of judgment walking with him. And as they're parting ways, and they thank you Abraham for the hospitality, and he's leaving... God says to himself in Genesis 18, he's literally thinking in his own divine mind, shall I hide this thing from Abraham? Now I want you to think about the fact that God is basing his choice to reveal something to this man on the basis of, I know him, that he will command his household after himself. Based upon who Abraham was as a father, God said, you know what? Because I see the way you lead your household. And he's not just talking about wife and kids. He's talking about Abraham's servants as well. And Abraham's servants' kids as well. Everyone inside of his influence and under his leadership. God says, I know that Abraham is going to command his children and his household after himself. That means, number one, Abraham recognized that he was not going to ask anyone in his camp to do what he himself was not doing. Let's go wander and walk by faith. Well, Abraham said, I left my family and I'm walking by faith. Let's go wander, no problem. Abraham is doing it. So the first point here is that God looks at Abraham and judges him not by the fact that he left. He says, shall I hide this thing from Abraham when Abraham trusted me so much that he left his family? That would be a legitimate reason. Shall I hide this thing from Abraham, seeing that Abraham is going to be willing to sacrifice his only son? That could have been a justifiable reason. How much faith he had in God. But God said, no, I don't look at Abraham based upon his sacrifice or that he left, you know, the Ur of the Chaldees and that he's walking by faith and living in tents, even though he was a wealthy man. He says, I'm going to judge Abraham by who he is in his own home. And to make the point more salient, Ellen White says, in the eyes of God, a man is exactly what he is in his own home. End quote. That means in God's mind, he doesn't see you the way everyone else at GYC sees you when you're doing your seminar. That's not how God sees Sebastian Braxton. If I'm not home, God sees me as absent, not as a great preacher. If I'm there and I'm not present and I'm not loving and I'm not kind... And I'm not supportive in my home. That's how God sees me. And this is very, very important for us as men to recognize that the very statement that God makes about Abraham in this text is automatically letting you know what is God's priority. Moses went through the same thing when he didn't circumcise his son. And after God called him to go liberate the people and he was walking back with Zipporah, God met him. To kill him. So let me get this straight. You just called the man 
to go deliver your people. And now as he's walking to Egypt to go deliver your people, you send an angel to kill him. Why? Because Abraham did not, I mean Moses did not circumcise his son. Can you imagine the neglect of Moses in his family could have undermined all the great things God wanted to accomplish by him. You would never know the name Moses. Not because Moses committed some great sin, but because Moses neglected things in his home. You know you're a Jew, and you know you should have circumcised your son. You're not doing your spiritual duty to your son. God says, I don't want to have anything to do with you when it comes to delivering my people. This is huge. And as a preparation for a father, we have to recognize that our priorities have to shift. Our priorities have to shift. Your family is your first ministry. And your goal is to command your household after yourself. So that means I got to get myself right. And I got to know how to communicate that and inspire that in my own family. And I want to end with this. Because I know my wife, I can feel her eyes on me. Papa, you're going too long. <laughs> I sat down with a person one time. And I said, you know, it's fascinating to me. When I, used to, when I used to serve as the general vice president for GYC, I used to spend anywhere from 20 to 40 hours on conference calls a week. I want you to think about that. 20 to 40 hours a week just on conference calls. My whole Sunday was gone. Game over. Wake up, this call, this call, this committee, whatever, whatever. Then you're doing the work that you just got from the conference call. And I remember sitting down with this person after I, you know, had finished my service to GYC. And I said, you know what's interesting to me, now that I have kids, is I said, we will get together and have conference calls about how we can inspire all these young people. How we can move them forward and how can we strategize and, and, and create the right program to inspire them to move the work forward and to see Jesus come in our lifetime. But when's the last time you had a conference call about how can we make sure that husbands stay faithful to their wives? How do we strategize to give them the resources to be strong, not just basic average priests of their home, but strong priests of their home? When was the last time you had men getting together and say, hey man, you pray for my marriage, I'm going to pray for your marriage? We're waking up early in the morning to go to United Prayer because we're praying over the conference. We want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and you got fathers that won't even pray for the outpouring in their own home. In the same church. You already know which ministries are going to be cut from the budget at your local church. Family ministries is easy to go. Health ministry, easy to go. Oh uh, yeah, you know, health and temperance, you know, they show some videos Sabbath afternoon about cancer. We decided to do a health expo once a year. Family life, let's do a family camp out in the woods once or twice a year. But you don't see this kind of planning and passion and push when GYC would be transformed if you just transformed the homes that all the young people are going back to. So in this sense for me, the preparation for fatherhood is the prioritization. That who I am right now as a person, as a man, is going to affect everything in my wife's life and everything in the life of my children. And I got to make sure that I'm right and that I'm able and competent at commanding my household and my family after myself. Amen. Even my wife said amen. So that's good. <laughs> so as we move forward, we're basically now moving more towards some practical things for you as a parent. We're looking at personal development as a parent. So I knew this was a parenting seminar here to kids. Praise You're the Lord. <laughs> Personal development as a parent. Um, you know, one of the things that um, Candace and I oftentimes um, we do kind of inadvertently is we have these conversations about interacting with our kids. And it's not something that we plan. I don't think we really plan it. It's just more like hey, you know, I noticed this about our son or I noticed this about our daughter. Let's take this approach the next time we discipline. And it takes a lot of humility and a recognition that we got to be teachable to continue to grow as parents. Um, and so when we look at personally developing as a parent, you got to think about 
strategically, intentionally building every single aspect of your life, your health, your spiritual life, your mental development, your education, because you don't want to be at a point where your kid is smarter than you at 14 and you can't help them with their homework. I'm telling you the truth. I want to be able to say, if my daughter's doing Calc 1, Calc 2, I still want to be able to help. So I got to keep developing my mind and look at those weak areas of my life as a father or her as a mom. If one of us doesn't have that strength, then we got to develop it and constantly keep growing ourselves as parents. Anything you want to add to that? Um, I think, I don't know if we'll probably touch on it or we may run out of time, but it's okay. um, the development also of developing as a unit together as well. Um, as he said, we, we come together and we talk about, you know, different things about the kids. And the reason why we even have that space is because we have, the, we have that already, uh, that commitment to each other that we're doing this together. And we want to be a united front when it comes to our children. So we have already created that space in saying we need to talk about different things. If I see you doing something, if you see me doing something, it, we have a space and, and openness to talk about it. So being a united front is um, also a very, very important um, component um, and thing to develop as, as husband and wife, especially as you go into becoming parents together. And, you know, one of the funny stories, I'll embarrass myself here, um, is uh, when we look at, you know, Candace is talking about having that space and agreeing that this is our goal. Um, sometimes, you know, I'm very tough on my son. It's just that I think it's just something in you as a father when it's your son is different than your daughter, right? My daughter starts crying. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. You know, <laughs> sorry. Relax. But when it's my son, I'm like, stop crying. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and you have this, this certain thing, like you want your son to be tough and you want him to be hard and mentally strong. And like, it's okay, son, take a deep breath. Relax. It's all right. Get up. It's like, but your daughter, you're like helping her up, carrying her everywhere. Um, that's why they're moms. We balance it out. That's right. <laughs> stop crying. It's okay, son. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and so my, um, so we developed this little system that we can keep each other accountable as parents. And so we were talking, we're like, well, what can we say? Because sometimes you want to make sure you control your tone when you speak to your kids. And depending on what kind of day you're having, right, one parent can be off, the other parent is on. You know, it's kind of like one person is flying the clouds of spirituality and heavenly mindedness. And the other person is like, man, this is a bad, bad day. So it's like, and you start hearing one parent go off on the kid, sit down. I told you to shut up. It's like, you're like, hey, hey. <laughs> And so I was, uh, I was going off on my kids and my wife, we developed this, this phrase, can you please pass the jelly, right? Because we don't want to rebuke each other in front of the kids, right? So we want to find a way to keep each other accountable, but we don't want to destroy that authority that we have. And so we developed that phrase. So there I was going off on my son. I'm like, why would you do this? Why would you touch this? And my son's like three years old, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> And my wife is like, Papa, can you please pass the jelly? Right? You're like, no, I'm not trying to pass no jelly right now. <laughs> and my kids start laughing. And my daughter's like, Papa, you don't even like jelly. <laughs> That's true. And, of course, it causes me to calm down. You laugh. And, you know, um, one of the other things we, we love to do on Friday nights before we bring in the Sabbath is we take time to say sorry to one another from things from the week. And it helps us to do two things with our kids. One, it shows them that we're willing to admit that we make mistakes. And sometimes, you know, I go to my son and I say, son, I'm sorry this week. Papa was yelling at you. I shouldn't have been raising my voice. And my son, it's okay, Papa. I forgive you. <laughs> um, and as they're able to forgive each other and they forgive us and they see us forgiving them as well. And my son, begin, my son is very, very quick yes. to say sorry. Zenin. I mean, as soon as we say, all right, it's time to say sorry. Anything you have to say sorry. Zen is the first one. Papa, I'm sorry. I went in there and I grabbed the orange and I should have asked, but I started eating it anyway. <laughs> but I'm sorry, Papa. It's okay. I forgive you, son. I'm also sorry for... <laughs> he does have a lot to be sorry for, yeah. but he's very willing. <laughs> <laughs> but he's very, very willing to admit that he's wrong and he's very, very willing to forgive. Yes. My daughter, on the other hand, yeah, she's a tough one. You know, my, my son will say, you know, nah, nah, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have taken your toy. That wasn't kind. And she's just looking, okay. <laughs> Nafti, are you going to say sorry? No. 
<laughs> what? Now, if you need to say sorry, that's not kind. I don't want to say sorry. It's like, okay. <laughs> but that's the reality. Sometimes we don't want to. Right. It's, it's a struggle. So you see it even in our children and trying to model that and encourage them um, helps keep us, again, accountable in that way and as we grow as parents. Mm-hmm. So let's move towards some practical things. Let's go to Genesis 5. Um, and this is a quote that, you know, we like from uh, the Spirit of Prophecy where she says, What a man is has more influence than what a man says. You know, this whole do as I say, not as I do, that's not biblical. Somebody should have said amen. Mm-hmm. That's not biblical. <laughs> so in Genesis 5, we find a very interesting insight about parenting. It says, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam in the day that God created man. He made him how? In the what? In the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day that they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son, how? In his own likeness. Are you with me? After his image and named him Seth. Now in verse 1, it says that Adam was made how? He was made in the image of God. In verse 3, it says, when Adam had a son, Seth, Seth was in whose image? Adam's image. So we can clearly see that there's a difference, right? Initially, if Adam was in the image of God and he had a son, whose image should his son have been in? God's image. Are you following that? But because of sin and because of what went on in Adam's life and because of Adam's failures and because of Adam's choices, he now developed his own image. And now his children, unfortunately, according to the plan of God, they should have been born in the image of Jesus, but they came out in your image. Are you following that? Mm -hmm. So when we talk about being what you want to see, you have to recognize that on one level, you're already doing it. Because when our children are born, they're born in our image. They have our genetic tendencies to wrong. And because of our current lifestyle they will eventually have our cultivated tendencies to wrong. Parents always struggle with the fact that I may not be spending all this time in worship, but I expect my children to be spending time in worship. Children are going to be made in your image. And we recognize that as parents, we have to take our children from where they are, which is in our image, to the image of God. That is our responsibility as parents. God, how can I be a tool in my child's life to bridge this gap between them reflecting my character and taking them back to your character? Are you following what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I know one of the things we always talk about in our marriage is which kid is like who, right? Or, you know, how we are like our parents. And I know I always talk about how my wife is a lot like my mother-in-law. So I'm like, man, it's like, I married my mother-in-law, my own wife, and then my daughter is basically the spit image of my wife. So I basically have three of them, right, in my life, all the same woman. Mercy. <laughs> At different stages of development. <laughs> um, and it's, 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 uh, it's amazing to me to see those associations as, oh, sometimes, you know, my daughter will start acting a certain way, and I learn how to interact with my wife by interacting with my daughter. And I'm like, oh, this is probably why my wife does this. And I'll give you a classic example. One of the things we didn't give in conflict yesterday was, um, you know, my daughter, when she starts getting very emotional and very upset, you know, you start having this conversation. And at first, right, I would try to dialogue. And I'm like, you know, Nafti, calm down, take a deep breath. And she's just all tears and her whole face is messed up. And I mean, you thought Jesus came and she was lost. And it's the littlest thing. Papa, I didn't want Cheerios. I wanted this. Okay, why are you crying? There's no need to be crying. (laughs) And you're trying to calm her down. And so one time I just had this uh, intuition, which maybe I can say was the Holy Spirit. You know, I just felt moved to say, you know, instead of me talking to my daughter, why don't I just start hugging my daughter and talk to her while I'm hugging her? So I say, hey, come here, sweetness, you know. So I laid her on my chest and I said, what's wrong? What's going on? She calmed down a lot faster. The conversation went a lot better. 
you know, et cetera, et cetera. So in my mind, I was thinking, man, you know, what if instead of arguing with my wife across the room, you know, what if I started holding my wife while we're having our argument? <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> And so you, you recognize that, you know, seeing yourself in your children and seeing your spouse and your kids, you begin to learn a lot about each other and also to recognize that I got to illustrate these things to my kids. I got to show them um, exactly what I want them to be. I have to be that. And I know, um, you know, my wife is very, very hardcore on this point um, when it comes to the kids. So if I tell her to do something with the kids... And if she's like, well, I'm not doing that. So she's not going to be the one. To, she's like, you got to tell them. <laughs> I'm like, well, babe, you, I'm not doing that. I'm not there. So I don't want to tell them something I'm not going to maintain as a mom. And so it, it also reminds me of the fact that I am the opposite way, right? Because I'm a preacher, right? I'll tell you even if I'm not practicing or not. I'm like, I have to tell you the truth. But you recognize with your kids, it's not, it doesn't flow the same. If I just start telling them, hey, this is the truth, this is the truth, this is how it should be done, now that my kids are smarter, they start calling me out. Mm -hmm. So I tell my son, hey, son, you shouldn't be talking with food in your mouth at the table. Right? Next thing I know, I say, Papa, you shouldn't be talking with food in your mouth at the table. <laughs> now, back in the day, right, you say that to your parents, you didn't have any more food in your mouth, right? So, <laughs> but I'm recognizing that that's not a very effective and biblical way to parent. I need to let my kids know I'm subject to the same thing. And so if I'm not being kind, then, you know, my kids are like, hey, Papa, that's not kind. You shouldn't do that. And, you know, two quick funny stories. <laughs> my wife. It's, fine. it's okay? Okay. As long as she gave me the go ahead. <laughs> so one time I was sitting in the room and I was, I was working on some uh, schoolwork. And my wife said, all right, guys, it's time to clean up. It's time to get ready for bed. So my kids start cleaning up. But then you start hearing all kinds of stuff hitting the wall, right? You're like, that does not sound like cleaning, right? And my wife comes back from the kitchen, walks in the room, and this place is completely destroyed. And I just hear my wife like, what are you doing? I told you to clean up, right? And I was like, I'm like trying to type, but you know you just couldn't type because you can feel the tension in the next room. And I'm like, Lord, my children are not going to survive. So I started praying. And as I started praying for my kids... My daughter comes over to my wife and she's like, Mama, it's okay for you to be angry, but you still have to be kind. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I, was like, I was just waiting for the flat line. Bleep. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's true. It's the same thing that we teach her. And so she just yeah. it back to us. And I am fine with that. Yes. And, I'd rather and, her tell me. And this is, again, what I learned from my wife. So when they came back to me, you know, we had bought the kids different bags of chips for something. I don't remember what it was for. And so I have my bag of chips, and I'm, I like to save my food. That's just my habit. And my son is the same way. So I just, like, eat part of it, and then I save it for another time. So I put my chips on the table, and, of course, my daughter, she just smashes all the chips right away. It's all gone. Bag in the trash, and then she comes over to the table. She's like, well, Papa, can I have some of your chips? I'm like, you just had some chips, Papa. That's not kind. You're not sharing. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't need to share. You had your own trips, Papa. Do we need to pray? <laughs> I was like, I was like, I said, okay, sweetness, you can have a chip. <laughs> I was like, Papa just won. <laughs> I'm like, man, this girl's working this thing, man. And you're realizing, right, I'm literally reliving my own dialogue with my daughter. She'll go to my, my son and be like, yeah, you can have one chip. Nafta, you can't. One chip? Papa, I don't, I'm going to be all out of chips. I'm like, okay, how about two chips? Right, so here I am in the same situation and recognize that, look, I have to submit. And rec I got to illustrate it. I have to be what I want my children. If I want my children to be generous, I got to be generous. Mm -hmm. And so it's very, very important as parents that we, we affirm these particular principles um, in terms of being what you want to see. It's just very important. Now let's talk a little bit about environment. And of course, you know, my, my wife is home a lot more, so she's better at managing this than I am. Um, but babe, you want to talk a little bit about atmosphere? Sure. 
So I remember when I, when I was younger, we, I switched schools a couple times. Um, my mom was moving around to different places. And I remember um, there was one school in particular that, that I was moved to that I really did not like. And at the time, I couldn't really tell what the reason was. But in retrospect, I remember that the, wall, the lights were very dim in that school. When we'd come back in from recess, the, the classroom smelled like cigarette smoke, which like, I, it really gave me headaches. Um, it just seemed like a very dark and dismal place. And I was always, always, always in the principal's office crying, or in the nurse's office and then to the principal's office crying. I couldn't do any work, which was really surprising because usually I was a child that was always doing the things that, you know, academically I would always do, do my work. Um, and then... Um, some time passed and we moved again. Uh, we switched schools actually because I wasn't performing very well there. And we went back to the school that I was at before, or to a new school. And this school, the, the class, the, the walls were nicely painted in bright colors. I remember the lights were brighter. The teachers were so friendly. There was just, I don't know. But I was in inspired and motivated to learn. And I think those that are teachers here probably can, can say the same thing. That's what you strive to do every day in your classroom, is creating an environment that's conducive for learning. And that's the same thing that we have to do in our homes, is creating an environment um, that is conducive to, um, to drawing out and, and showing our children those principles that we want them to have as part of themselves. Mm -hmm. Being that love, being security, being um, uh, a spiritual... Um, moral compass. Um, some of the things we talked about already, about that love, right? That love being shown between mother and father, um, and how that, um, that, that love that is shown to them and seen, observed between two people that are pretty much their world, how that, um, when it's done consistently and unconditionally, how that gives them security in that as well. Um, security to do the same thing and just security to, to, to continue growing and thriving in other ways. We talked about forgiveness. Mm -hmm. um, and again. I think also, you know, one thing that, um, like I said, my wife's very humble, so she's not going to share all those different things that I know she does well. And one thing about creating an atmosphere of love is one of the, the most challenging aspects of parenting when you have little kids is that they get up early in the morning, right? But you're not trying to get up. And so, you know, my kids, they're hardcore. I mean, they can find their way out of any place we are traveling to. They know how to find your bed. And so in our house, right, my kids, they come all the way down the steps. You can hear them when they're coming, right? You wake up, you hear the feet running to your door. And I always make sure our door is locked before I go to sleep. <laughs> so bad. And my wife is like, why are you locking the door? I'm like, man, these kids need to wait, man. We need boundaries. I'm like... <laughs> And so my kids will come, and they're very polite. Do, do, do. Papa? Papa, can I come in? No. <laughs> and you realize that, you know, my kids get very sad because when they wake up, the first thing they want to do is find us. Mm -hmm. Right? And what, what, a, what a beautiful, you know, illustration, right, of when I first wake up is my first desire to go find my Heavenly Father. Right? That sense of trust and security. So as soon as they wake up, they come down to the room, and, and my wife is very good at this, right? So... She'll leave the door unlocked and the kids will just roll up in the bed, you know, do, hey, mama, can I come in? Yes, you can come in, honey. And they come in, they're all kissing up, hey, mama. And they want to lay down, scoot under the blanket and get all comfortable. I don't have enough pillow. I'm like, <laughs> you just left your bed. Like, <laughs> why are you in my bed? <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, I begin to see how much it changes the nature of their day, their attitude, that the very first reaction they see from us is not stop. Go over there. Be, and, you know, for me, early in the morning, if I don't have my time with Jesus, man, it's not good, you know. <laughs> I must tell Jesus early in the morning. So I, I'm always very conscientious of the fact that my wife does it so seamlessly that she can embrace them and be loving. And, I mean, my wife is not a morning person. That's a shock to me. I am a morning person. But my wife will be knocked out, sleep, passed out, wake up. Yeah, you can come in. Kiss, hug, okay, let's go back to sleep. Super free about it. For me, I'm like, man, your foot's in my back. Like, come on, man, I got to go to work. I need at least another 30 minutes. And I'm already starting to complain. And recognizing creating that atmosphere starts with those kind of little things. When your kids come down in the morning, be ready to embrace them. You always want to give them that sense that there's never any barrier between us. 
right? When you're around mom and papa, you're always, you're always accepted, you're always welcome, right? And I'm always happy to see you. You never want your kids to feel like, oh yeah, I'm stressed out to see you. Um, and, and in that sense, you know, it's something that, you know, watching Candace and, and learning that, that helps create that atmosphere um, for them as well. So it's, uh, it's very, very important. Um, also in terms of spirituality, uh, in our house, we have a, a, a prayer room that we mentioned that's just for prayer. Um, we have a little wall with cards and things like that where we put our prayer requests on. And our kids have their own cards and prayer requests for their friends. Um, and again, when we go there to have worship or prayer in the morning, um, again, they, they see myself or they see Candace in there praying and are able to join us in that space. And again, this begins their own experience of saying, hey, I see mama and papa doing it. And because you're mama and papa, they want to do what you do. So my son sees me preaching, wants to preach. He sees us in there praying, he wants to pray. So now they'll walk up in the prayer room and my daughter will just fall down on her knees and start. I'm like, Nafti, what are you? Papa, I'm praying. <laughs> then you got to wait, wait, right? <laughs> they get up, it's time to get out. It's like, but you, you realize that how can you hold back, right? Your kids from doing those kind of things. You want to encourage that. Um, and it's, it's starting with your own example in that space that you've created in your house as well. So for us, having that room also lets our kids know that spirituality is part and parcel of our family, right? Jesus is not just some external person. He has his own room in our house. Mm -hmm. That's Jesus's room. You can go talk to him there anytime. And that lets them know that Christ is very central to our family and very important. Okay. Um, but one thing I want to to remember before we end is that, um, you know, in a, in a classroom, we're teaching our children, we want them to learn math and all the different subjects. We want them to excel in those things. Um, and so we're helping them do that. At, at home, our goal is to be teaching them these principles that will direct and guide the rest of their lives. You know, honesty, forgiveness, love, um, the things about integrity. Um, and we don't realize sometimes that Yes, they're little people, but they have really big struggles. And the, the things that they're struggling with, even if, even if it's over a bowl of Cheerios versus some oatmeal, to them that is the biggest thing that's, that's really pushing them close to the edge. I mean, <laughs> our edge is a lot farther, but that they have reached their own edge. And so just being um, conscious of the fact that what they're feeling, what they're experiencing is very real and we should handle that with care. And when we have an environment that allows for that and that encourages um, those, those, those values, the, the love, the, the gentleness, the forgiveness, all those things, it allows them to feel like they're in a place where they are being handled with care while they're going through these daily struggles and battles. And as adults, we know the battle itself is very real. Mm -hmm. And what if we had that same, I know we'd love to have that same kind of gentleness extended towards us, someone being understanding and, and providing us those same graces, which we know that Christ does. Amen. So thank you, Lord. Um, at least we have it there. And so he's seeking for us to do the same for our children, to be that, that hand of care with them. Amen. All right. Well, uh, again, we'll be putting the presentations online. Um, and so we, may, we weren't able to cover all the principles, but we'll be able to give you the slides. Uh, we'll talk about structure and uh, loving each other, some practical counsel, um, and also the potential impact of your kids. Again, if you have questions, uh, you can submit it to this uh, URL. Just type in tinyurl.com slash advisinglove, and you'll receive a type form. Put in your questions, and tomorrow afternoon, uh, when we come to our sixth session, um, we'll just do a very brief introduction to some trends, and then try to answer as many questions as we can. All right, let's go ahead and have a prayer to close. Want to pray? Sure. Let's pray. Loving Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that you are example as, um, as to what it means to be a parent. Um, and we thank you, Lord, that you have given us this gift, too, of, of having that experience as well here on earth. And we pray, Lord, as we are all in different stages and phases, that um, when that time does come, that you will help us to be proper illustrations of you, even in our home circles. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. 
For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.